If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Feel free to ask me. If you have any superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. Teleportation. Okay. Uh, read minds. What over here? Telekinesis. Okay. Healing. Oh, aren't you pious? Thank you. <laughs> 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 what else? Healing, and I commend my sister in Christ. That should be all of your answers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? What, what, uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? To fly? Anyone else? I, I know you guys have thought about this. <laughs> Anyone else want to share? Change blood to gasoline. Okay. I heard something about gasoline in the film with Grant and Jake. Uh, just, uh, a shapeshifter. A shapeshifter. Huh? Change shapes. Huh? Anyone else? You know, th th those, are, those are all good answers. Uh, I, I Googled this recently. And according to a recent survey, you know what is the most wanted superpower? Invisibility. Second was the ability to fly. Now, now I liked I liked your answers too. I thought you guys had great answers. But but you know what none of you said? What? That is I yes, That's true. When I, when I asked you if you had the ability to have any superpower, you know what none of you said? It kind of surprised me, and that is, none of you said the ability to wait patiently. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to tell you why that surprised me. You know why that surprised me? Because I want to argue that's the hardest thing to do. That is, to wait patiently for the thing you desire the most. Friend, that's a superpower. Because look, although I don't know everything about you, I do know that every person in this room, you have some type of unmet desire. There is something that you are longing for that you don't currently have. And my guess is the thing that you want the thing that you desire, that unmet desire, my guess is, it's a good thing. What is it for you? Maybe a, a certain career? Maybe a spouse? Children of your own? Grandchildren? A home, maybe good health, maybe believing children. You know why waiting is so hard? It's because as the days and the weeks and the years pass by, Instead of entrusting our unmet desires, oh, to the Lord, you know what we can be tempted to do? We can be tempted 
to elevate those desires into idols. That is, we can become convinced that they are the key to making us satisfied. And friend, none of us, none of us are immune from this temptation. I know I'm not. Which is precisely why we need our text this morning, Psalm 115. This morning we conclude our short summer series on the book of Psalms. And as I've been mentioning all summer, the book of Psalms is not a random bag of marbles, marbles, but it's a fine woven tapestry. The Psalter has been carefully arranged, and as we discussed, each section contains a narrative or ties in with the overall narrative of Scripture. And this is going to be really important for us to understand Psalm 115, because you see, Book 3, as I have here on the screen, Book 3 covers the period of Israel's history from the beginning of Solomon's reign to the nation's exile from the land where all the Davidic kings are cut off. Things look really, really bleak, and we can see that in Book 3. However, the final two books of the Psalter, Books 4 and 5, they give us hope that God's promises will not fail. That is, God's king is coming. But here's what you have to understand. When the Psalter was written, he had not come yet. You see, what you have to understand is that Psalm 15, it's a waiting psalm. The original readers of the psalm were waiting for God to fulfill his promises to his people, namely his promise to have a future son of David who will be the Messiah. And here's the deal, because that promise had not yet been fulfilled, because they're in this waiting period, the nations around Israel, you know what they began to do? They began to taunt Israel. They began to say, where is your God? Where is this God you speak of, this, this king? And in that moment, Israel, like many of us today, they were tempted to turn from their God to idols. So the author of Psalm 15, he pens a clear message for God's people. And faith, this is a message for Israel, but it's also a message that we need to hear today, too. Now, what is that message? Well, turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm 115. That's page 510 in that paperback Bible. And follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. The author writes this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. 
He does all that he pleases. So, so it begins with that word of praise to the Lord. And here's the situation that God's people are being taught. And where is your God? And so it's like he's in heaven. He's doing as he pleases. Now notice the contrast here. Verse 4. Their idols, their gods, are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So the psalmist is warning Israel, this isn't for you. It might seem that God is distant. It might seem that God is not near. It might seem that he has forgotten us. But these idols, they're not for you. This is not where you're to set your trust. Instead, now notice what he says there, beginning in verse 9. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. You know who that is? You who fear the Lord? That's you. That's me. That's all who belong to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist is saying, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. And this is for kids too, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Notice, the, the nations make these idols. Our God made everything. Verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we... We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In the world of snow skiing, there are two kinds of skiers. There are those who like to stay on the groomed runs, the groomed slopes. And then there are those who like to ski the whole mountain with all its jagged cliffs, its deep chutes, and its other natural terrain challenges. This latter type of skiing is called free riding. And the sport of free riding took off in the 1990s and now is the fastest growing discipline in snow skiing. Meet Jacob Smith. Jacob is a 15-year-old competitive 
free right skier. He's also legally blind. That's right, you heard correctly. Jacob is legally blind. He has extreme tunnel vision. Not only that, he has no depth perception. And anything that he does see is exceptionally blurry. His visual acuity is rated 2,800. Four times the level of legal blindness. Think of, think of the big E on that eye exam chart. Okay, that big E. Jacob would need it to be blown up four times in order to see it from 20 feet away. Yet he frequently competes in free riding skiing competitions. So how does Jacob ski like that? You know what the answer is? He's able to ski like that because of his father. You see, Jacob carries with him a two-way radio that is turned on high in his pocket. His dad is on the other end at the base of the mountain who gives him instructions to guide him down the mountain. So, uh, to, to give you a picture of what this would be like for you, imagine skiing blindfolded and someone giving you directions in your ear to turn here, to turn here. That's what skiing is like for him. Jacob's father guides him down narrower chutes and makes sure he doesn't go off a cliff. Jacob and his father were recently interviewed by CBS News earlier this year. And towards the end of the segment, the news reporter said this, quote, Jacob trusts his father to both protect him as well as provide him with the necessary information to safely ski down the hill. In faith, that is precisely what Psalm 115 calls us to do with our heavenly father. As several commentators have pointed out, there's a chiastic structure to Psalm 115. That is, a sequence of ideas is presented and repeated in reverse order. I have, I have it up here on the screen. The result is a mirror effect as the ideas are reflected back in a passage. And as is the case with all chiastic structures, this literary device is meant to clarify the key point of the passage. It helps the reader discern what is the central thought or idea. And as you can even see right here now on the screen, the central thought or the idea is not a, simply a thought, but rather it's a command, and we can summarize it this way, and that's this. The main point of Psalm 115 is to trust the Lord for your provision and protection. Trust the Lord, you who fear the Lord. Trust the Lord, Faith Community Church. Trust the Lord for your provision and protection. This is the main central idea of Psalm 115. And notice how clearly this point is made in verses 9 through 11. No less than three times, 
the author exhorts God's people to trust in the Lord. And specifically, he calls God's people to trust the Lord for their provision, that's the word help, and their protection. This is what the author is getting at when he refers to the Lord as a shield. Trust the Lord for your provision and protection. Faith, although we often try to deceive ourselves into thinking this is not the case, the truth is our ability to navigate life is not much better than a legally blind boy skiing downhill. We need someone to both provide for us as well as protect us. And friend, that's the Lord. Praise Him. Just as Jacob carefully and intently listens to the voice of his father and obeys without delay, trusting that his father knows best. Christian, we are to do the same with our heavenly father. To trust the Lord for your protection is to believe that He knows what your needs are and that He will provide at the right time. Think for a moment about that deep, unmet desire you have. If you believe that the Lord is your help, you will entrust that desire to Him and find content in what he has sent. To trust the Lord for your protection is not to believe that he will keep you from every adversity, but rather that he will be near to you, much like a shield is near to you, guarding you from spiritual harm. Trust the Lord for your provision and your protection. But here's the question, why? Why should we trust the Lord and why should we not look to idols as is often in the temptation? Why should you patiently, wait patiently on the Lord? Well, this psalm I want to argue counsels us to do so for four reasons. And here's the first one. Christian, trust the Lord. Trust Him for your provision and protection because number one, he loves you forever. Look again at verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I, I rarely, rarely dream when I sleep. And even in the rare times when I do dream, I barely remember what I dreamed about once I woke up. However, this past week, I had a dream that was so vivid and it was so moving that I don't think I will ever forget it. 
And you know what the dream was about? It was about this verse. You know what I was doing in my dream? I was crying. In my dream, I was sitting in my customary chair, place in our house where I typically read and study and prepare for my sermon, and I could hear Stephanie and the kids going about their day in the other room. And as I held up my Bible to my face, and I read the phrase, for the sake of your steadfast love, I was overcome with emotion. And in my dream, I began to cry. Tears started pouring down my face at the thought that why would God choose to love me and love me forever? Me, a sinner, me, one who is completely undeserving of his love, me who has sinned against the Lord countless times. Oh, that the Lord would have steadfast love towards me. And when I woke up, you know what I did? I prayed that I would never grow cold to the truth that in Christ, God loves me forever. I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving, asking the Lord to increase my knowledge of what are the depths and the heights of his love for me. And faith, that is my prayer for us as a church too. Faith, I don't desire that you cry tears of joy and relief when you read this verse. But I do desire that you would come to appreciate and marvel at what this verse is teaching. Think of what is required for the Lord to have steadfast love towards you. You know what's required of Him to have steadfast love towards you? Forbearance. Patience gentleness, mercy, and perhaps most importantly, forgiveness. You see, friend, what makes this reality all the more wondrous is the fact that we deserve nothing from God but His just wrath and condemnation for our sins. God owes us no affection or tenderness. He does not owe us his smile or kindness. No, due to our vile rebellion, God owes us judgment. Yet in an extraordinary act of love, God the Father sent God the Son to receive the punishment owed us for our sins. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath due us for our sin, so that through faith, faith alone, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
we could be forgiven by God and not simply forgiven faith, but then loved and adopted as sons and daughters. How marvelous. Can I ask, why would you not completely trust a God like this? A God who would love you, sins, warts and all, forever. Why would you doubt his goodness? Why would you not be content with what he has sent? Faith, trust the Lord. Faith, major, it's trust the Lord because he has set his eternal affection upon you. Well, then second, trust the Lord because he does as he pleases. Look at verses 2 and 3. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. How many of you are familiar with the term cheat meal? <laughs> Judging by the chuckles, I, I'm sensing you know it. The, the idea of a cheat meal is simply this, that after a long six days of stringent dieting, you enjoy yourself by eating whatever you want. Several months ago, I really pressed myself in regards to eating clean and healthy, and I could not wait, I could not wait for my cheat meal. In fact, that day, listen to me, I made it my aim to please myself in regards to food. And I did not say no to any craving or food my eyes desired. The amount of calories I consumed was obscene. <laughs> and guess what happened next? I began to feel sick. Oh, I was miserable. And all I could do, and this is, this is Joke, this is true. All I could do is lay down and moan. <laughs> but it wasn't just me who suffered. Listen, due to my indulgence, my family suffered as well because instead of doing the fun family activities we had later planned, we couldn't because dad's curled up <laughs> moaning on the bed. You see, Faith, when I made it my aim to please myself, it ended up being detrimental to both myself and those closest to me. And this is not only true in regards to food, uh, this is true of all areas of life. Friend, the biblical witness testifies that when we make it our aim to please ourselves rather than, than Christ, it will always be to our harm. But please hear me, in contrast, when God makes it his aim to please himself, when he does what pleases him, it is always for our good. And you know what pleases God most? That he be glorified. And praise the Lord for that, friend. You know why? For it weren't for God's passion to glorify himself, none of us would be saved. 
Do you notice? For as Ephesians 1 makes clear, God predestined us to the praise of His glorious grace. Or if it weren't for God's zeal to glorify Himself, none of us would even exist. You know why? Because as Isaiah 53, 43 rather, states, God created all people for His glory. Christian, if it weren't for the fact that God's greatest concern was for His glory, then none of our prayers would be answered. Do you know this? This is what Jesus teaches in John 14, 13, when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Indeed, if it weren't for God's passion for His glory, our sins would never be forgiven. As Isaiah 43, 25 states, God speaking, I am he who blots, blots out your transgression for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Faith, God does all things for his glory and praise the Lord because that always is for our good. And you know who knows this? The psalmist. That's why he says in verse 1, not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory. He's asking God to glorify God. Christian, find comfort in this. Indeed, why would you not trust a God like this? A God who does as he pleases for his glory and the good of his people. But then third, trust the Lord for your protection and provision because he perceives your need. Notice that's the whole point of this next section. Look at verses 4 through 8. Remember, the temptation is God seems distant. God isn't fulfilling his promises. Where is God? He's in heaven doing as he pleases. And what are the options for us to trust him? Well, there are these idols. And notice how they're described. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throats. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Several years ago, the BBC reported, a young girl's, reported rather, that a young girl's complexion had turned mysteriously orange. And for the longest time, they didn't know why. But then, through a series of tests, her doctor discovered the reason. You know what it was? She had been consuming 1.5 liters of Sunny D every day. <laughs> True story. According to the report, the manufacturers of Sunny D admitted that their product could turn people orange. <laughs> but only if they drank large amounts. That girl, please hear me, that girl, 
she became what she consumed. And in a similar fashion, this text teaches that you become what you worship. Notice how clearly this point is made in verse 8. The author writes, those who make them, referring to idols, become like them, so do all who trust in them. And what are idols like? Blind, deaf, mute, and dumb. But notice, not only do those who trust in idols become like them, blind, deaf, mute, and dumb, but the overarching point here is that, please hear me, idols cannot perceive your needs. This is what this verse is trying to get across. Please hear me. They cannot hear your cries. They cannot feel your struggle. They cannot work on your behalf. They cannot speak wisdom or words of comfort. They cannot see your situation. But you know who can? The Lord. What comfort. Indeed, as the author of Hebrews states, we have a great high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ, he walked our road and he felt our pain. Joys and sorrows that we know so well. Christian, when we pray, he listens. When we struggle, he sees. When we ask for help, he gives it. Friend, your idol cannot do that. So why trust or find your satisfaction in something blind, deaf, mute, and dumb that will make you blind, deaf, mute, and dumb? Trust the Lord all in, wholeheartedly. And by the way, I want to clarify. It, it's the, the, the psalmist is very clear to specify what it is we're to trust the Lord about. Many Christians today mistakenly throw around the term, I'm just going to trust the Lord. And what they mean is, I'm going to trust the Lord to come through for me to do what I actually want Him to do. Like, like, like He's in service to me. I'm just going to trust the Lord that He's going to give me what I really, really want. That's not the trust described here. It's not a trust that I'm just going to wait for the Lord just to give me whatever I want. No, it's, I'm going to trust Him that He's right. He's going to provide what I need when I need it. And He is the one I can look to for protection and help. Then finally, trust the Lord because He blesses His people. Trust the Lord because He blesses His people. Look once more at verses 12 through 18. <laughs> I love this. In contrast to the blind, deaf, mute, dumb idols, in contrast to the taunts of the nations, what does the psalm says? The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Again, the contrast there between the idols. The heavens, and the, the heavens are the Lord's heavens. 
the Lord has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we, we will bless the Lord from this time forth, in the waiting time, and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Christian, what, what is your perception of God? What is the first thing that comes to your mind when God is mentioned? Faith, our God is not forgetful. Nor is our God miserly. No, our God is a God who blesses his people. Our God is a God who cares for his own. Let us trust him for our provision and protection. Faith, I don't know what lies down the ski mountain of your life, but God does. And let us come to trust him more this week than we did last week. Let us commit to wait patiently on Him and trusting over Him our deepest desires, believing He knows best and that His timing is perfect. For lest we have any doubt about the perfection of His timing, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Galatians 4, 4-7 that God brought about all His saving promises to pass. The, the promises God's people in the psalm are waiting on. God brought all those promises to pass when, in the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Amen. So, what should be our response? We'll look at how the psalm begins and ends. Our response should be deep trust and devotion to the Lord. Indeed, may the cry be of our church. Oh, this is my prayer for us as a church. Not to us. Not to Faith Community Church. Not to the members of Faith Community Church. But to your name, God. Give glory. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, you are marvelous.